And again, welcome to freedom. When we say that, that's not just welcome to a place. It is welcome to a reality that we have freedom in Christ. Welcome not only those of you in the room, but welcome to all of you who are joining us online on the various platforms there. Uh, Welcome to those of you who are normally uh, in this room when we're not in the middle of a pandemic, now scattered around Baldwin County. We're glad to have you tune in, but also welcome to all of the Freedom family that uh, is scattered in multiple different states around the country, but also in different countries around the globe, in places like the UK and Germany and Japan. And a special warm welcome to uh, all of the Freedom family in Nigeria. We have a number of our friends and uh, Freedom family in Nigeria who now uh, join us uh, each Sunday. It's 4.15 in the afternoon in Nigeria right now. They have uh, already worshipped at Freedom Church Sapala, Nigeria this morning at what was 4 o'clock our time. And uh, we're glad to have you tuned in. We love you and are just so grateful to have you be a part of the Freedom family. This has been a significant week for freedom in a number of ways. One of the things that we celebrate most right now is what's happening in Sapala. I shared with you last Sunday morning, I haven't had a report yet, uh, how things went today in Sapala, but uh, we had on the third Sunday of the, the new church plan, our first international uh, freedom church campus in Sapala, Nigeria, outside of Wari. Last Sunday, they had 127 people in attendance in spite of a pandemic, which is wonderful, but uh, you'll be excited to know that on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, they were able to break ground on the new church building. And uh, Isaiah was able to send along a little video clip of that, so we're going to take about two minutes just to let you share in celebrating that together. Hello, Pastor Mark and all Freedom Church family in the United States. This is Pastor Isaiah Kadiri running the commentary. This is um, the piece of property of Freedom Church, Nigeria. Uh, the, the digging going on right now is for the foundation of the, of the proposed building. Now today they are digging the foundation to lay uh, the foundation of the church hall. As you can see, the work going on right now, and you can see everything in Africa is done manually. Praise God, praise God. We can see uh, laborers working, and they're right now uh, digging the site where the church hall is going to be. It's going to be situated. Everything is going on fine. The work and the workers are all here. And uh, we give God praise for all the support to make this vision a reality. God bless you. As the work progresses, I'll be showing you the video clips of everything going on here right now. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Today is the 24th day of the month of June 2020. It's the day the foundation is going to be laid to God be the glory. It's a memorable day in this ministry. Nigeria will never be the same again. You are welcome, Freedom Church. To Nigeria.
That's exciting stuff, isn't it? That, that uh, in the middle of all of the negativity and the gloom and doom around us, it is just good to see that the kingdom is marching forward. Well, in addition to that good news, uh, there is another thing that is before us right now that is uh, more local, and I want to just quickly say a word about that. Most of you know that we have a sister church just catty-cornered across the uh, intersection here at the traffic light over in the Winn-Dixie Shopping Center, and that is Graceport Church, pastored by Brad McLean. They have uh, interacted with us at times in the past. They took part in our fall festival event here, and they are at uh, a transitional period for them. They will be uh, ending their lease this week and uh, for, for a variety of different reasons, and they are sorting out what God has next in store for them. Uh, in addition to multiple things going on there, uh, Pastor Brad's mother passed away this past Sunday night, and he did her funeral yesterday, so he's had a lot on the plate, and we've been in conversation and uh, in consultation with the other elders. I reached out to him this week and said, why don't you and Graceport just plan to take the month of July and just come and worship with us? They are very similar to us, almost identical in size, theology, just uh, worship style. All of those things are a good fit with us, and so he said, would that be okay? And I said, that would be great. You can catch your breath, and we can just enjoy being together. And so starting next Sunday, uh, Graceport Church is going to be worshiping with us. Now, the crazy part about this is the obvious. That is that they are dealing with the same things that we are dealing with, where 80% of the congregation is watching online and only 20% at best are, are in the room here or there. But in spite of that, uh, we are going to host them and uh I just want you to know, and those of you who maybe are watching online this week but would be able to join us in the month of July, I want you to be expecting that opportunity to welcome some new brothers and sisters for the month of July. It's just in a season where it seems like everything that we hear in the news is about division and strife. It just feels like such a perfect opportunity for us to communicate a message of love and unity to say we are one as the family of God. And so we are excited to have Graceport with us in the month of July, and we'll just be exploring what they will be exploring, what God has next for them. So would you join me in not only welcoming them, but in praying for God's clear direction for them as to what comes next. You good with that? All right. We will look forward to that next week. Now, with that said, we turn our attention uh, to the scriptures. You can pull out your outline now. We're beginning a new series. It's just going to be for the next month that uh, is entitled, That's Outrageous. We, I think, would definitely all agree that we are living in an age of outrage. That's a pretty good description of the moment, isn't it? That it just feels like all the world around us is outraged about something. You know, that there are people who are just uh, outraged on all kinds of sides about, you know, the racial issues. They're outraged toward the police. They're outraged about racism they're outraged about riots and marches you've got people who are outraged over political issues you've got people who are outraged about being told to wear a mask and other people who are outraged that people aren't wearing masks people are just outraged right now it's just an age of outrage and so the question for us isn't what we should be outraged about it is how we as the followers of jesus should respond in the middle of, of a world that's so filled with angst and anger and divisiveness and hatred and outrage. 
This is going to be a good news series. This is not a series that is in any way designed to bring all of those issues into focus so that we can talk about those things. There's a time and place for that. And that is not what this series is about. This is about us staying focused on what really matters right now. And what we need to stay focused on is God's calling for us, God's mission for us. And it's pretty outrageous. It is, it is pretty out there compared to what the world would have us do. And I'll just say, as a simple summary of things, that a big part of God's calling for us is not to pick a side, but to love every group. It is to love the people who are on the right side of the aisle and the left side of the aisle. It is to love the people who are marching for justice, to love the people who are rioting and looting, and to love the people who are being abusive with their power, and all of those in between. It's to love people in, of, of all colors and all backgrounds, whether they wear a mask or they don't wear a mask, whether they think the pandemic is a big issue or whether they think it's all fake news. We need to be the people who say, it really doesn't matter to us what you think about those things we are here to love you and to speak truth to you and to represent the kingdom of God in the world. Our issue is not to pick a side. Our issue and our mission, our outrageous mission in the world today is to love and serve the world and to speak the truth. It's pretty simple. Now, the passage that we're going to look at today is the jumping off point. You'll see in your outline is John twenty twenty one. This moment takes place on the day that Jesus was resurrected. It's actually on the evening of that day. It's the first time that Jesus is able to be together with his disciples assembled. He has met one or two at a time with some different people in the course of that day. But for the first time, he gathers with them as they are huddled in a, a room that's locked away, they're, that they're just trying their best to stay away from the craziness of the world around them. I mean, think about this moment and what an outrageous time this was. The Jews hated the Gentiles and they absolutely abhorred the Romans. We understand why that would be the case. The Jewish authorities despised Jesus and his followers because they were blowing up the religious system of the day with what they were teaching and doing. It's just a situation where everybody has some kind of issue. The followers of Jesus, understandably, are outraged and, and alarmed and, and afraid because of what the, how the religious leadership is cracking down on this new movement, the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus. And so it's such a chaotic moment. In some ways, we can identify with that, this season that we're in, where everything feels like it's sort of coming apart at the seams and everybody's a part of some faction. Well, that's something of the climate in that moment. And in that situation, Jesus just appears on the scene and I want you to notice in this one verse, he makes two statements, and I don't want to run past the first one. The first thing that Jesus said to them was, peace be with you. Is there anything that's more practical in a moment like this than for Jesus to show up and give his peace to us as a gift? I mean, of all the words that the disciples could have used to describe what they were experiencing in the moment, don't you know that the very bottom of the list would be peace? 
It's like the one thing I'll guarantee you they are not feeling on that night is a sense of peace. They, they feel anger, outrage, alarm, fear, a thousand things, but they don't feel any peace. And I would say that that probably is somewhat descriptive of where many people are today. They feel a lot of different things. Upset, frustrated, exhausted, but not much peace. Now, into that setting 2,000 years ago, Jesus shows up and he just begins by saying, Peace I give to you. This is not a hippie from the 70s showing up just going, Peace, John. Peace to you, bro. Peace out. No. This is the one who speaks things into existence that don't currently exist and makes them happen. This is the God who has the ability to give peace as if it were a commodity to be shared. And don't you know that in the very speaking of that, I mean, he is the one who by his spoken word causes galaxies to exist. And when Jesus looks you in the eye and says, peace to you, Beth, suddenly something just washes over you. And it's like the, the weight that you've been carrying just melts off of you and a peace settles into the depths of your soul. Jesus has the authority to do that. Don't you know in that moment of time something transcendent took place that there was something that had been so missing for days that for the first time they're like, oh, yes. This is the way it felt all those times for the last three and a half years that we've followed Jesus around. Things are right. Things are just at peace in the presence of Jesus. And he is here. In a world that is torn apart with strife right now, a big part of our calling, a big part of our mission is to do what Jesus does, and that is to usher in the peace of God into people's troubled and turbulent lives. And here's the cool thing. You and I have the authority to do that. When Jesus sent out the disciples two by two, you remember in passages like Matthew 10, Luke 9 and 10, when he would send them out two by two, a part of his instruction was about how they were to, to extend his peace, to let that peace rest on a household as they entered it. They had the authority to let it rest on people and to even take it back, Jesus said. And we are given the same authority. Now, this, that isn't even primarily what the message is about today, but I just couldn't run past that in this passage. Do you know that you have the authority to speak the peace of Christ over individuals' lives, over families and households? And you have that authority in your own home, by the way. It, it's a really cool thing that we have the authority to bind the enemy who sows fear, strife, and chaos and tell him in Jesus' name he has to go and to then speak and invoke the peace of Christ on our lives, our families, on those that we love. That's pretty outrageous, isn't it? To know that you, you Stone, you, Caroline, get to invoke the peace of Christ and just lay it like a gift on people. Be generous with that as you speak the peace of Christ on people's lives. And then Jesus goes on to say, As the Father sent me, so I send you. One of the things that I love to watch in the Olympics, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Olympics. I love watching that stuff. And I love the track and field part. And I love watching the uh, the relay events, you know, where 
four runners are, are taking part in a race and they have to pass the baton. I always love it when the when the last leg, the anchor guy, gets the baton and he's always a superstar. You know, he's going to just pull it out. This is that moment in the relay where Jesus is passing the baton on to the church. He, he had the most significant leg in this race. He, he had the big leg. He, he had to do the part of not only communicating the reality of who God is and what he is like in the flesh. I mean, how big of a deal is that? That a huge part of Jesus' mission was to, to take us from a place of wondering and imagining and, and sort of pontificating on what God must really be like. That, no, we don't have to wonder that anymore because in Jesus, God has come in the flesh as a human being and for 33 years said, Come on alongside, watch me, and discover what God is like with skin on. Big part of the mission accomplished. But that wasn't the whole of it. He not only communicated what God is like and the message of the kingdom. Remember who he went. He's talking about the kingdom of God and what it's like when you usher in the kingdom of God, when you bring people into the wonderful realities of the kingdom of God, where God reigns in our lives and brings his justice, goodness, compassion, generosity, and all those things to bear But beyond that, he fulfilled his mission of taking upon himself all of our sin, failure, guilt, shame, and the punishment that accompanies our sin and failures. And with his death, with his suffering and death, he bore the punishment for all of those things. And with his resurrection, declared victory over sin Death and the devil. Mission accomplished. He has done his part. And so now, the day that he rises from the dead, he shows up with his disciples, speaks peace, and goes, Here you go, boys. Here's the baton. Run hard. It's time for you, just as I was sent by the Father into the world and I have fulfilled my mission, now it's your leg. And it's not going to be 33 years It's going to be a long journey. Run hard. Run strong. We have been sent just as those 11 were sent. Sent by God on an outrageous mission to change the world. And it's been happening for 20 centuries. It's happening at an unprecedented rate today. And what we want to talk about today is just in very simple, practical terms what it looks like to live on mission all the time. And the thing that's really stuck in my head this week that is sort of the framework that I want us to use as we think about this today is that the Christian life, when we live it as it was designed, really is like being on a mission trip 52 weeks out of the year. How many of you in the room, how many of you have been on a mission trip before? Let me see your hand. Lots of us have been on mission trips before. I'm curious, how many of you who are watching online have been on a mission trip before? If you have, I want you right now, if you're, if you're on Facebook or can join us on Facebook, I want you to just type in one or more of the places that you've been on mission trip. For those of us who are in the room, let me, just, just shout it out. Name some, some places, cities or states or countries where we've been on mission. Let's hear it. Tizamine, Mexico. Where else? Belarus, yes. Tanzania, Africa. Where else? Honduras, yes. Any place else? Awesome. Look forward to seeing online other places that we have been. There's something about going on a mission trip 
at least in my experience, that seems to just help get life in order and to live it the way that it's supposed to be lived. Did you ever feel that way on mission? Like, just in my own experience, I have observed, one, I feel so much relief from stress being in that environment because I feel like my life becomes so centered on the things that really matter. And as I've thought about what it's like to be on a mission trip, there are some transferable things that are consistently true when we're on mission that we can bring back and that we can carry with us all the time. I mean, I confess there have been a bunch of times when I've come back from mission trips and it's really emotionally hard to re-engage in life. I mean, Forrest, you ever feel like that when you come back from Mexico? It's just like... Oh, man, i got to go back to this stuff that doesn't really matter because it's like when you're on the mission field, it's like every moment of every day is a big moment. It's Something good's going to happen today, and then you come back home, and we sort of lose that sense of it. And yet what God wants for us is to live every day with the realization, I'm on a mission trip today. This week, I've got a seven-day mission trip. My assignment is the eastern shore. I am called. You are called to be on mission. And there are four specific things. This is a real simple message. It won't be difficult to follow or understand. But there are four things that I want you to think in terms of what it's like to be on mission and how we bring that reality to bear here every day. Four things that we do when we're on mission that we need to carry on every day. Number one, we stay alert at all times to ministry opportunities. That's a real simple concept, and yet that's maybe the most fundamental thing, is the, the focus. That when we're on a mission trip, it's like, I, well, it's not like, it's just a fact. I expect every day on a mission trip, God's going to give me ministry opportunities, meaningful ministry opportunities. I'm looking for those. I'm, I'm totally expecting it, and they're there. Usually many times a day, just here, here, here. It's just wide open. Paul says in Ephesians 5.16, I mean that you should use every opportunity you have for doing good because these are evil times. For some reason, when I'm on a mission trip, I live that verse out so naturally, just looking for every opportunity, every opportunity to do good, to make a difference, to share the good news, to help, to meet a need. And I, I go through the day expecting to be used by God. That's the reality we want to carry over, that we expect to be used by God every day of our lives. It's not unique to the mission field. What I'm suggesting to you today is that we really work at being intentional that every day of our lives we get up and ask God, Lord, today would you give me an opportunity? Would you give me at least one opportunity to share your love with somebody, to encourage somebody, to help somebody? I don't want to waste today so easy to sort of fall back into the mindset of, oh, but I've got all my stuff to do today, stuff around the house, my job, my family, and to lose sight of the fact that today the most important thing that I get to do is something that I don't even know in detail is coming. I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like, but today God's going to give me an opportunity to love somebody, to listen to somebody, to help somebody in his name. Expect to be used by God every day. The second thing is when we're on mission, we are generous with our time and with our attention. Now, I have to confess to you, 
you know, I've been on a lot of mission trips to a lot of states, a lot of different countries. And this didn't initially come naturally for me. I, I was thinking back this week to, I've been going on mission trips for around 30 years, and I was thinking back to the earliest years of going on mission and, and how different my experience was on those early trips. I had a role in leadership in those days, too, and I, I can remember, just going to be really transparent with you about this, I am a typical man in that I am very focused. I am very task-oriented. Give me a job. Let me know what I need to do and what the finished thing's supposed to look like, and I will stay busy doing that job. And so I tackled mission trips like that. And the first couple of trips that I went on, you know, I would get a good, clear understanding of what it is we are trying to do in terms of the project. We're going to renovate these houses. We're going to build this addition to this church. This is the project. And I remember so clearly that on those first couple of trips, I had an assistant. I had an intern who was a few years younger than me. And invariably, at the end of each day, when we would huddle up and we would hear people just share their experiences of the day, we would, we'd have a devotion time together, but we would have a share time of kind of what did you see God do and how did God work in or around you. And people would share different stories. Now, I would be so focused that I would have just worked my tail off all day, you know, just a lot of sweat, a lot of work in what we were doing. And I'd feel pretty good about that. I'm exhausted, but I'm, I'm exhausted from doing God's work for people. But my assistant would always have such different stories to tell in the share time. Invariably, he would share personal stories of people that he had encountered through the day and what he learned from them and what they shared and how he ministered to them in a personal way. And I would always silently think to myself, lazy scoundrel, how did he get any work done? Just busy sitting around talking to people. Telling stories, listening to people tell stories. I bet he's not going to have Jack Diddley done on, on his house and his project when the week is done. What did he come here for? And over time, the Holy Spirit began to just ring my bell and say, what did you come here for? Did you really think that my primary purpose in bringing you here was to add on to a church or to renovate a house? Do you not get that I'm far more interested in people and in lives than I am in buildings? And it literally took a couple of years of doing these things before I began to, to wake up to the reality that my intern was so much more dialed into the most important things that happen on a mission trip. And I'm not saying that building churches and renovating homes and helping to bring people out of poverty is unimportant. Those things do matter. But what I'm saying is the time that we invest listening to and sharing with and connecting with people who are in need matters far more than the things that we can build and look back and go, look what I did. What I've learned over time is the value of being generous with time. Yes, we're there to accomplish these other things, whether it's to put on a medical clinic or build an orphanage or whatever. Yeah, those things matter, but nothing really matters as much as being generous with our time and attention and showing people one-on-one, -on -one, you really matter. The thing that was so convicting to me about those early experiences was when I would read the Gospels and I would look at Jesus. And the thing that I could never connect my life with was in his stories. I, I can never see 
the houses that he renovated or the buildings that he built. But what I see him do time and again every day on every page of the Gospels is to interrupt what he's doing to stop and say, Karen, what do you need today? How, how can I help you today? I mean, just everything in the Gospels is just, yeah, he, he'd speak to the crowds here or there, but then the crowds would break up and it would just become such a personal conversation. Such a, a, And he's always asking questions. He's not preaching at people. He's getting really personal to listen and to constantly ask questions to find out what's going on with people. Always generous with his time. I mean, he's on the most important mission that any human being has ever been on. Think how valuable Jesus' time was. And yet he always, every day, had time for whoever was in his path that was in need. When we live on mission, we're intentionally generous with our time and attention. I love in John 5 when Jesus talks about just how he lived his life, sort of how he organized his, his day. He said, my father's always working and I too must work. I'll tell you the truth, speaking of himself, the son can do nothing on his own. He does only what he sees his father doing, and what the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. What Jesus is spelling out there is, my agenda for every day is just whatever I see the father doing in the course of the day, and I just join the father in that work. If you've ever done the the study experiencing God, that's what it's all about, is recognizing where God is at work, and then joining God in what he's doing. You, you want to see real impact through your life? Learn to do that. Jesus said, that, that's my daily agenda. I, I'm, whatever I have to do that day, I'm just staying alert to where around me do I see the Father inviting me to pause and connect and get involved with someone. And that's what I do. It's not complicated. It does require some effort and intentionality and openness to the leading of the Holy Spirit and learning just to recognize how many times that an unmet need, a hurting person, becomes the invitation of the Holy Spirit that this is where God is at work. Paul said in closing out his letter, first letter to the Thessalonians, encourage those who are afraid, help those who are weak, be patient with everyone, always try to do what is good for each other, and for all people. He's just giving us kind of a laundry list of the kinds of things that we're looking for. Look for people who are afraid or who are weak or who just need someone to pause and listen and be patient with them. Just look for opportunities to do good. You've heard me share this line before, and I'll say it again because it is it has been for me one of the most liberating thoughts that I've discovered in, in many years and that is simply that there is enough time in every day to do the will of God. Again, I know this is just a part of my personality. Some of you don't struggle with this, but some of you probably do. I am such a task-oriented person that for every week in my life, that I'm, if it's not a vacation week, there are just checkpoints all through the week. There are things that I need to, to have done by the time Monday is over. And if they're not, if those things aren't done, I'm stressed because I'm already behind on my week. It, it, it may be Monday, but Sunday's coming in my world. You know, there, there are just things that have got to be knocked out every day, and I'm getting stressed if I haven't checked everything on the list for Monday, for Tuesday, for Wednesday. And too many times in my life, I have felt like the people that I didn't expect to come along, the the interruptions are just that. 
that they are delays in me doing what I'm supposed to be doing rather than seeing those as opportunities. And it's such a liberating thing to realize there's enough time in every day to do the will of God. And if God puts people in my path who are hurting, afraid, lonely, in need, and I have an opportunity to just love them, to listen to them, to help them, well, some of my checklist may not have gotten done for Monday, but the will of God got done for Monday if I just was obedient to those things. There's enough time in every day to do the will of God. And if there wasn't time to get some of that stuff done, then that wasn't the will of God for that day. That's liberating to live in that. Amen? Yes, it is. Number three, the third thing about living on mission that we discover is that when we're on mission, we embrace people who don't look like us. And that has been a joy to discover what it's like to embrace people who don't look like us. Can we just be honest enough to acknowledge that it is it's somehow wired into the brokenness of humanity that we do not by nature feel attracted to and want to embrace people who don't look like us? I mean, you may have learned to do that over time, but would you agree that was not fundamental to your nature growing up? You, maybe you had great parents who taught you to really be open and to embrace people who didn't look like you, but that is not the typical human condition. We have to be trained, essentially, to love and reach out to people who don't look like us. But when we're on mission, we're very intentional about that. We go to places where people don't look like us, and they weren't brought up like us, and we're intentional that we're going to reach out and show the love of God to those people. We're going to connect with those people. This is so fundamental to our mission. Paul talks about this over and over in passages like Galatians 3 when he says, Now in Christ it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek, a slave or free, male or female, you are all the same in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 3 he says, In this new life it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. It's funny. The fillings change. But the reality doesn't with time. I mean, you hear all those things in his day, all these, these issues that people get divided over. Are you a Jew or are you a Gentile? Because if we're Jewish, we hate the Gentiles. If we're Gentiles, we look down on the Jews. Are you a slave? Are you free? Are you a man? Are you a woman? Are you a barbarian? Are you sophisticated? You know, what, what are you? Pick a side. We're no different today, are we? We just changed the fill-ins. you a Democrat or are you a Republican? Are you a conservative or are you a liberal? You, are you on the, the side of Black Lives Matter? Are you, are you protesting in the streets or are you opposing that? Whatever. We just change the fill-ins. We're, we're picking sides over everything. And when you learn to be on mission with God, you no longer pick sides. You love people on all sides. And if you grew up being on a side, you intentionally embrace people who were on the other side. That's what life on mission looks like. I think about the, the different times in my life when the Lord has, has used per, particularly mission experiences to really teach me to love people who don't look like me. I'll tell you as briefly as I can just a couple of what those experiences have looked like. I remember years ago, it's been over 20 years ago, when God first put on my heart a call to be involved in international missions in a personal way. I'd been on a lot of mission trips, but I'd never done international missions and I didn't know where to start, and I felt such a strong calling to that. I was confused by that and going, 
big world, where am I supposed to do that, God? And what does that look like? I felt really strongly called to Mexico. And it's like, well, great, but I don't know anybody in Mexico, and I don't have any connection to a ministry in Mexico. What's that supposed to look like? And so I'm really starting to pray and press in, God, what is I feel called to Mexico, and I don't, I don't know where to go in Mexico. What do you do with that? And I will never forget, as I'm wrestling with that issue, and I'm in a, in a church, serving a church here in Fairhope, where we stood, still did kind of the old school thing, you know, Monday night visitation. How many of you remember Monday night visitation in church? That's where people visited the church on Sunday. They were new to your church. They filled out a card. And so come Monday night, we distributed those cards, and we went and knocked on their doors to go and visit them. So I'm doing Monday night visitation, and I'm giving a card. of Somebody I've never met before, he visited our church with his wife on Sunday. And I go knock on his door on Monday evening. And he invites me in, and we start having a conversation, find out he's a veterinarian, new to the community, and said, so uh, what brings you here? And he's like, well, it's going to sound kind of odd. I'm, I'm from Mississippi. I was a vet there, had a thriving practice, and what brought me here was God. felt like God told me to come here and find some people who were supposed to be involved in mission work in Mexico and to mobilize them to go on mission to Mexico. And I'm like, wait a minute, do what? So, well, I just do the veterinarian work on the side just to fund the trips that I take to Mexico to minister to the people there. And I'd been doing that for years and years in Mississippi, and I didn't know anybody in Fairhope. And God told me to pick up and move to Fairhope, start a new practice, because there were some people in Fairhope that he was calling on mission to Mexico, and I was supposed to move there. And I don't know who those people are. And I'm like, well, brother, you're looking at one right here. That was one of those chill kind of moments up and down the spine. And yes... For years, Dr. Bailey and I together were able to lead trips into Mexico. Just wonderful, rich experiences. But part of the reason I tell you that story is to say, just the real deal, I didn't know any Mexicans. I didn't have any great love for the Mexican people. I didn't hate them. I just didn't particularly love them. I didn't feel a deep burden for the Mexican people. I just sensed a call from God to go to Mexico to minister to people that I didn't know and that I didn't feel any deep love for. You know what happened? Forrest, you know what happened because you've been there, done that. You fall in love with them when you get there. Go to Mexico, and these people are, are amazing. They're wonderful. I can't wait to come back. We go year after year after year, and I just develop this deep bond with them. Same thing happens in Cuba. Go on all these mission trips, and then, oh, the moment I've been dreading for most of my life. A friend in our church who's been telling me about this ministry that he's a part of that goes into uh, East Central Africa every year. And, and they've, they're, they've got teams working year-round in East Central Africa. And he's just been telling me, man, I feel like you're supposed to go. I feel like you're supposed to be a part of this. And then he shows up one day and he just does the thing that I did not want somebody to do. And he says, God's put it on my heart. You're supposed to go, and I'm paying your way to go. <laughs> now what are you going to do? I'm his pastor, for heaven's sake. How do you beg out of that? So I'm like, okay, I'll pray about that and feel like I'm supposed to go. Now, the thing that I need to explain here is since I've been a teenager, I've just had this real fear. And this is basically the logic behind it. I'm like, for some reason, in my mind, Africa was the scariest place in the world to have to go. 
And in my crazy way of thinking as a teenager, I'm like, if you ever completely give your life to God, totally surrender to him, God doesn't have many people like that. So he has to send all of those people to Africa because they're the only people who love him enough that they would go to Africa. So I'm like, I'm really scared of the thought of total surrender to God because sure enough, he's going to send me to Africa. And so this this alarm's going off in the back of my mind like, oh, crud, it finally caught up with me. This was the risk of serving Jesus. He's sending me to Africa. So I say, all right, I'll go on this trip. And I'm thinking, you know, how long can it be it's a week so i agree to go and only after the fact that they say oh it's 16 days I'm like i don't have 16 days i didn't feel like i had a week i'm going for 16 days i'm confessing to you i did not have a good attitude i didn't know any african people i didn't have any deep love at that time for african people and i'm on the plane it's going to take 24 hours of flying to get there i felt like we had to fly around the world to get there 24 hours of flying and then 12 hours of driving to get to our first destination and i don't have a good attitude anybody ever just obeyed god with a bad attitude i was doing that i can remember we're flying over and we've got a couple of people in our group who've been on multiple trips and they just won't quit talking about it this is going to be so fantastic pastor mark is going to change your life you won't believe what it's going to do and i just listened to that so long inside i'm wanting to go shut up I'm tired of hearing about it. I've been on a bunch of mission trips. I have got the T-shirts. I have checked the box. It's not going to change my life that much. Been there and done that. I had no earthly idea. It changed my life. It rocked my world. I've never been the same since. I was the fool who had the bad attitude. The part, I should have been able to predict it. I did not. Besides the fact that to get there blows your doors off because it's like living in the book of acts how the power of god is so on display and the kingdom is marching forward and people are being healed and set free on a daily basis i mean it's crazy how many people are being saved healed and set free you feel like you're walking with jesus through the gospels and acts but the thing that goes beyond that and it's hard to talk about it without getting emotional from the first time that we met our african ministry counterparts And one of the first things that we do is huddle in school, just a crude school classroom. There's no electricity. There's no musical instruments. And we just begin to sing together and to worship the Lord and to witness their faith and their unbridled love and passion for God. It didn't take five minutes before I was a messy puddle on the floor. My heart was ripped to shreds, and I instantly fell in love with the African people and could not wait to go back again and again and still can't wait to get to go back. Some of my dearest friends in the world are African people like Isaiah Kadiri and Stanley Hote and Julius and so many others who have just changed my, my life. What I'm saying to you is this. We're struggling a great deal with racial issues and racial tension right now. And sometimes the way that this has to be fixed in us isn't the way that we expected. I think sometimes we think that sort of in theory or in a vacuum, our hearts just need to change about people. And then maybe God will do something out of that. And it usually happens in reverse of that. I went to Mexico without loving Mexican people. I went to Cuba without loving Cuban people. I went to to Africa without particularly loving African people, other than just that vague sense of, yeah, God loves the whole world, and I love Jesus, so I've got to love them. 
But it's in the going and the meeting and the getting to know and do ministry together and struggling together that you just love these people in a way that you could never have manufactured as you sat there and read about it or read social media stuff about it or heard about it in church. You've just got to get on mission. Well, the good news is that mission doesn't always have to take you overseas. You can reach out to people who don't look like you right here, right now. You can have them in your home. You can meet them for lunch. You can sit across the table from them in the the coffee shop and listen to them and get to know them. White people sitting with black people and Latino people, Hispanic people. I mean, we can learn to love people that we don't naturally love deeply. We may say that we do, but I mean, let's really test that. The people that don't look like us, that we say that we love, how many times in the last week or month or year have you sat across the table from them? Have you had them in your home? Sometimes, most of the time, love needs to be put into action for it to really exist. People on mission embrace people who don't look like them. The fourth and final thing I'll say is this. When on mission, we focus on a lifestyle of compassion And a message of hope. As the writer of Hebrews winds up his letter, he says this, And don't forget to do good and to share what you have with others, because sacrifices like these are very pleasing to God. One thing that I learned from the very first trip, especially to Africa, is your bags going over are a lot heavier than your bags coming home. You go and you fall in love with these people, and you just can't help it. You want them to have what you have. So you come home without a watch and you come home without half your clothes. You come home having left your food and everything that you can jettison to stay there with them. Because the love of Jesus and the mission and calling of God compel us to acts of compassion. And it's not forced. It truly can just come from your heart because you've learned to love these people and feel their pain. And a part of that is about compassion, and a part of it is about the message of hope that we share. Peter speaks to this in verse Peter 3.15 when he says, But have reverence for Christ in your hearts and honor him as Lord, and be ready at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope that you have in you. It's tragic, isn't it, how many times the Christian message has sounded as it's been communicated to the world, as if it were a message of condemnation, if it were a message of needing to stand against this and stand against that, when the truth of the New Testament is that Christians offer a message of hope. Jesus said, I didn't come in the world to condemn the world. I came that the world might be saved through me and my message. That's a message of hope. The longer that I live, the more amazed I am by the power that is unleashed when we share the message of the hope that we have in Jesus. I'll share one more mission story and then I'm done. When we, on the trips that we've taken to Africa, they are the richest but the most exhausting. Jackie's been a part of of these kinds of trips before. and It's not just that it's 16 days in length. They're they're really long days. A lot of times you put in 12 or 14 or 15 hours in a day and it's exhausting. And the way that it's structured... You're doing clinics and evangelism room and all medical ministry stuff by day. And then by night, you're going out in little teams even deeper into the bush showing the Jesus film. And you're, you're up from sun up till way past dark doing this stuff. 
So you usually catch maybe maybe a night, a week, that there's not enough vehicles to take everybody out every night. So there'll be a little bitty handful as you sort of rotate. There'll be a little handful left at the base camp at night. And so you're always grateful the night of the week that you just get two or three hours to catch your breath, get to bed at a decent hour and catch up on a little bit of rest. And so I don't even remember what year it was or what village we were in, but it, we were somewhere in Tanzania back in the bush. And wonderful but exhausting week, and it's finally going to be my night to be just for the evening in camp. That was going to be the night I wasn't going to go out and show the Jesus film. And a member of the team comes along and says, Hey, since you're not going out tonight, we heard that the village down the road, there's a veterinarian there who's a Muslim, and he heard about what we're doing, and he asked if we would come down there and share with, with him and some of the people of that village. Now, in the flesh, I'm thinking, good grief, I'm so tired. I don't wanna, we're not going to have a vehicle. I don't want to have to hike to the village. But there's no way you can say no to that, so I wasn't about to turn that down. But inside, I'm like, oh, just a little bit of rest would be nice. So we get done with clinic for the day. And little bitty group of us, we head out down the road and hike to the village. And what we experienced there was, was unlike any encounter I've ever had in Africa before or since. The, the vet is there, very nice guy, and he's gathered a number of people from the village. Very, very tiny village. But the, the unusual element that we had never experienced before is there were, because we're always deep in the bush, so we don't see police or soldiers in the places we would go. But there were soldiers in the village not a lot, but several, and they've all got their rifles. And there's just a tension there that's, I'm telling you, when you're in the third world, and especially when you're in remote parts of the third world countries, police and military do not offer the comfort that they do in the U.S. It is a, it's the opposite feel. You feel more uptight when they're present with their weapons. So the military are there, and, you know, the stage is set. It's so peculiar. So we're, we have to do everything through a translator always, so... I'm sharing in English, and it gets translated to Swahili. And so for the first time ever, the people of the village that we're sharing with are standing essentially in military formation. It's just, I don't know why, but I guess because there are soldiers there, they line up in a couple of line, rows in front of us. And it's like, and there are soldiers in the lines with, you know, mixed in with their guns. And it's like, all right, American, go. No pressure. <laughs> so sharing the gospel the good news, the hope of Christ through a translator, go through the whole deal. I don't ever remember a time when we've shared with a group of people in Africa that some, usually multiple people, don't come to faith in Christ. So here we've got this little village of people listening to, this, to the gospel, make the presentation, invite them. Is there anyone who today would like to trust Christ, who would, who would like to experience the forgiveness of God to become part of the family of God? Nobody raises their hand. And you, you just feel the tension. The soldiers, just like they're watching everybody. And you can tell everybody's just kind of like, Mm-mm, not with them here watching. We're not doing that. And it was just so frustrating. So I'm really trying to press it home. Do you understand? Because I'm thinking, this is the only time we're ever going to be with these people. They need to respond. Nobody was the only time I've ever seen in Africa that I can recall that nobody responds. And, and so we finish, and I'm just feeling so deflated. We've come up here, and we've shared the hope of Christ, and nobody responds. And I'm sure these soldiers are a part of it. And we're ready to hike back to our tent camp and thinking, what a... What a disappointment that nothing happened there. And as we're about to start hiking back, somebody from one of those lines comes up and is like, can we, you know, 
through the translator, can we talk? And I said, you know, the, the message you just shared, the people of my village need to hear that message. Would you be willing to walk to the next village and share with them? And at this point, I'm like, it's getting really late in the day, and I'm glad I didn't know how far it was to the next village, by the way. But we said, yes, absolutely. So it's a long hike to the next village. And so we hike, hike, hike. We get there. It, it was a very different encounter. The elders of the village pull everybody, men, women, and children, out to the outside of the village and have everyone sit down and listen to what they have to say, so, you know, to what I'm standing up to say. So once again, through a translator, share the very same message, get to the conclusion, make the same invitation for just a moment. Nobody's moving. The whole village is just seated out here. And then the oldest elder of the village, I say if anybody would like to trust Christ and become a Christian and receive the forgiveness of God, stand with me. And the oldest elder stands up. And when he does, another pops up and another pops up and another pops up. And within the next 30 seconds, every single member of that village is standing. Okay, once again, this is the, the confused loser in me. I'm like, I'm always floundering, trying to figure things out. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not how this works. This is an individual thing. You've got to decide, you know, one at a time. It can't be that a whole village said no to Jesus. And now a whole village says yes. To, I'm just thinking this. I'm like, it can't work like this. They all stand and together in Swahili pray to receive Jesus as Lord. The, the leader of the village says what, what he has said we all need and collectively. This is, by the way, the difference between Western thinking and Eastern thinking. Western minds, everything's ind- individual and independent. Eastern minds, they think in terms of the family, the clan, the tribe, the community. We do things together. So a whole village embraces the hope that's found in Christ. And part of me is going, wait a minute, this many people, you can't all want this at the same time. Yes, they can. The hope of Jesus is news that is that good. When we share the message of Christ, it's the message that not only can change one life at a time, it can change a whole village at a time. I say that to say, every day on mission, we carry the the gospel message that Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The power of God is unleashed every time we tell this simple story. So what do we do with this call? This call to always be alert to opportunities, to always be generous with our time, to be embracing people who don't look like us and living a lifestyle of compassion and hope. How do we respond? Well, we respond like Isaiah. When God called Isaiah to his mission in life. In Isaiah 6, the Lord says, Who can I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. That's all God's looking for. He isn't looking for people who are eloquent or smart or well-resourced. He's just looking for willing people who will go, Send me. Send me somewhere. Send me to my neighborhood. Send me to my city. Send me to some country. Here I am, Lord. Just do what you will with me. Would you join me in saying yes to that invitation? Father, thank you that you honor us with the call to be on mission wherever you put us. God, we want to be used. Forgive us for the times when we have neglected the opportunities before us. 
Help us to have eyes that are open to what you're doing and to the needs of people around us. Teach us to love people who don't look like us. Teach us to be generous and sacrificial in how we meet needs. Teach us to be bold in sharing the message of hope that we have in Christ. I want to just invite you right now. If you realize that the Spirit of God has been speaking to you and saying, Yes, that's you. It is time for you to move out of the ordinary of daily life and into this outrageous call of God to live on mission. Would you just in your heart just just pray the words of Isaiah? Lord, here I am. Send me. Whatever that means, wherever that means, send me right here. Send me wherever you want to, but use me to make a difference. Oh, God, speak to willing hearts today. Fill us with your spirit. Put a burden in our hearts for people that you care about. And make us dangerous for you in a world that is outrageously in need right now. We welcome your call in our lives. And we say, yes, Lord, here we are. Send us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.